As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Mike, can you think of a time that a giant corporation actually pulled off a huge platform shift? Uh, I know there's got to be a couple. Um, right? Like, disruption by big companies is rare. Yeah. They're always the ones that are getting disrupted. Right. Right. Yeah, you usually just don't see the big companies pulling it off. I mean, there was there was Adobe, though. I mean, I remember they went yep. full SaaS after, you know, years and years of not being in that business. Well, somehow you knew that that is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I am excited <laughs> to have that chat. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. 
So you've probably heard of Adobe, right? Because of the photo editing app Photoshop or the vector drawing software Illustrator. Yeah, or even like going real early, they had a web development tool, Dreamweaver. Oh God, don't remind me about Dreamweaver. <laughs> But Adobe's Photoshop is so popular that it's become a verb, just like Google or Xerox. Yeah, exactly. Like you always hear people say like, oh, I don't like that in the picture. We'll just Photoshop it later. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about how Adobe completely changed their business and pricing model. And it, it was painful for them. But to understand just how far Adobe has come, let's go back to the beginning. Adobe founders John Warnock and Chuck Geschke met while working as engineers at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center. There, they worked on personal computers and laser printing and realized that businesses and professionals need more accessible publishing and printing software. Warnock and Geschke knew that the businesses needed desktop printing software, but they realized it was going to take Xerox a really long time to get to market. So the two 40-year-old men in the middle of their careers decided to take a huge and risky move and go out on their own. Their first product, the printing language PostScript, was their way of experimenting with desktop printing software. PostScript was a program that allowed users to print from personal computers to external printers. Adobe was literally at the forefront of mass digital image production. Today, the Adobe PostScript SDK, or Software Development Kit, it runs on a wide range of operating systems and real-time platforms, and the graphics model at the heart of PostScript paved the way for the development of the PDF. When Steve Jobs heard about PostScript, he approached Warnock and Geschke with an offer to partner their software with Apple's hardware. He famously said, we at Apple could quickly see that our hardware was going to be better than theirs, or Adobe's, and that their software was more advanced than what we were working on. Which, that's pretty powerful words coming from someone like Steve Jobs. Yeah. So now in 1987, Adobe released Illustrator, which was especially remarkable for its pen feature that allows users to draw curved lines. The company sold it for $495 one time, which was thousands of dollars cheaper than the other graphic and drawing software that was on the market. I'm John Warnock, president of Adobe Systems, and I'd like to welcome you today to view a tape that we've prepared about Adobe Illustrator. This is a product that we are very, very excited about. It addresses the professional illustration market and it has a lot of capabilities that you won't find in other programs. The tape Honestly, the broken. pen tool still frustrates me whenever I try to use it. <laughs> Oh, don't feel bad. There's entire design courses on how to properly use the pen tool. But either way, it's a breakthrough for graphic designers at the time. So Illustrator was doing all right. About a year in, it had made about $19 million in revenue, seeing decent, but not skyrocketing sales. To bolster the product, Adobe released Photoshop as an add-on to Illustrator. Photoshop was an entirely new direction for Adobe because it allowed users to work on photos from external sources like a scanner rather than building images from scratch. Adobe went in this direction because it brought in the potential use cases of Illustrator even more. But the Photoshop add-on really wasn't expected to have a huge revenue impact. Well, we know how that panned out. (laughs) Exactly. Early on, Warnock 
had decided that Adobe should not be a one product business because he knew how quickly the design industry changed. So he built that right into their core that they would always have multiple product lines, which helped them to hedge against the changing market. So they went on to create typefaces, page layout software, video editing software, and this actually led to their next big product release, Adobe Premiere. It's crazy how all these products are industry standard today. And I'm not heavily in this design work, but I know all these products by name and function. It's astounding. And as for Premiere, it became successful because it was the first desktop video application of its kind. And we forget sometimes how revolutionary these massive companies really are. I know, I know. So by 1993, Adobe had hit 313 million in revenue, giving them the capital to make important acquisitions, which would also help them grow in the next stages of a company. Now they're about 10 years old. Okay, we're going to pause right here before we get into the SaaS transition, and we will take a quick break for sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So for almost two decades, Adobe's products were sold on CDs, like any other software at the time. That's right. You'd walk into uh, Best Buy or Media Play or maybe Radio Shack, and you'd purchase a box with a CD and a license key in it, and then you'd go home and install it on your desktop computer. That's right. Adobe's products, they were all high cost up front. There was no recurring revenue. They would have to convince you every couple of years that you needed to go buy the latest software to get the latest and greatest features. But when you've been around for a few decades, you see a lot of changes in an industry. And the software industry was changing yet again. Instead of selling software through licenses and on CDs, many companies were starting to sell software over the cloud on a subscription plan. In 2007, global revenue from SaaS enterprise apps was around $5.1 billion, and it was predicted to grow over 100% over the course of the next few years. To survive, Adobe knew they would have to unlock the subscription model too. Selling software licenses upfront was less reliable as CD-ROMs were becoming antiquated in the eyes of the software industry. Subscription revenue was more predictable and it could also be sustained or even increased over time to ensure financial security. With more competitors on cloud-based subscription plans, whether it be design tools like Envision and UXPin or point solutions like Sketch, users could try out Adobe competitors with very little risk. These cloud-based solutions could also roll out updates and improvements whenever they needed to, as opposed to Adobe's 18 to 24-month cycle of product releases. All of these factors weakened the lock-in that Adobe previously had with their users. But this worried investors. Here's Charlene Lee, author of The Disruption Mindset. No customers wanted it. The employees clearly didn't want this because everything about their jobs would change. And more importantly, they're a publicly traded company. And they knew that if they did this, that for 24 months, for two solid years, their financial results would decline. So I mean, those, that's a, like a perfect storm of three things. 
that are going against you, but they knew this was the right thing to do. So they made all the preparations, did all the testing, and then went to Wall Street. According to Mark Garrett, Adobe's CFO, the creative business wasn't growing much. Their unit sales were actually pretty flat. Adobe was primarily growing revenue by raising prices, which they knew wasn't going to be sustainable in the long term. Many of Adobe's senior leaders were concerned about the risks of revenue, earnings, and stock prices dropping during this transition period. They were nervous that both customers and shareholders wouldn't understand why they made the switch. They would lose faith in the company's success, and that company's financials would tank way beyond recovery. I was talking to the CFO, Mark Garrett, who was a CFO at the time, and he said, yeah, you basically said, we've got great news for you. Uh, we've got this new business model that's going to be awesome. And revenues are going to go down. Income is going to go down. Isn't this great? And quarter after quarter, that's exactly what they did. Revenue went down, income went down, and their stock price went up every single quarter. Basically, they said, this is the right thing to do. And they gave them the right metrics. They go, it looks like our revenue is going down, but we're actually replacing revenue that we recognize up front over two years, and we're spreading it now over the next 24 months. So this is a revenue recognition issue. There's nothing fundamentally broken with our business. You have to look at these new numbers, new metrics of success to understand how the business is changing. So they weren't afraid to take all of their constituents, all of their stakeholders through this really painful process of redesigning the entire core of the business. The final straw was a recession in 2008 and 2009 when Adobe realized that they had very little financial barrier and needed to make this move to protect their company and customers. They fully committed to making the risky move, work through their concerns and successfully transition into being a cloud SaaS company. 2013 proved to be the biggest turning point in Adobe's history. That's right. Adobe released Creative Cloud, announcing that all future versions of their Creative Suite apps would only be available for purchase through a subscription-based service and only available on the cloud. Their service went from a one-time purchase of $1,800 to $50 a month for the entire Creative Cloud suite, or $19 a month for just one single app. Just like that, they cut the cord. Now, they cut the cord after five years of planning. But even during this time, with all of that planning, it wasn't easy. It took them years to recoup the lost revenue from upfront pricing as they transitioned into subscription pricing. The riskiest part of this was keeping their shareholders on board through this very long transition process. Creative Suite, which was a software product that they had, represented two-thirds of the company's revenues and profits. So this was not a minor change. This was a make or break the company change. And and the, the thing for me is that nobody was pushing them towards this. They were the market leader, the only game in town. They didn't have to do this. And yet what they recognized was to be competitive in the future, to do the best thing for our future customers, they absolutely had to do this. That was gutsy. Really, that was, that was incredibly gutsy on their part and, and not an easy path. Very, very hard, very traumatic. Um, and, and they did it uh, to their credit. They never blanked. Adobe's move to the cloud has since been called the textbook example of how companies should make the transition. They're ultimately successful because they did a few things exceptionally well. 
First, the company made sure to offer valuable use cases for the many different types of users and projects they supported, whether it be designers, photographers, videographers, and then they'd regularly add new feature to the cloud-based tools. They also shifted their entire business perspective to cater to the digital workplace. And they also broadened their target market beyond creatives to sell to more members of the C-suite. Today, the company's financials have definitely reflected their success. SaaS businesses have higher valuations than licensing companies, and Adobe has seen their share price and valuation increase over the last several years. Now, Adobe is still growing their top and bottom line thanks to their cloud subscription services. Recurring revenue from subscriptions represented 86% of the company's total revenue in 2017 of $7.3 billion dollars. The 35-year-old company is growing revenue 25% year-over-year. Even among the world's biggest software companies, Adobe is growing quickly in comparison. Five years ago, Adobe and Salesforce were both $40 stocks. Now, Salesforce is $107 and Adobe is $183. It's exciting to think about what's next for them. So, looking back, what are three things that we can learn from Adobe? Well, <laughs> well, one, how about expanding to naturally adjacent spaces? Right. They've always gone after markets just adjacent to the designer market, like marketing and more recently analytics, but always with designer at the core. Yes. And two, they've also been thinking long term financially. Right. The transition to SaaS, that was not an easy or safe one, but it set the company up for success moving forward, at least until we see another massive shift in the market. The alternative is they, they could have had that short-term thinking and they might be in a very different place today. Yeah. And I think the third big takeaway is that Adobe made acquisitions based on product gaps, talent gaps, and the competitive landscape. Yes, we didn't talk about this too much, but most of their big product breakthroughs came through acquisitions. Some of them like Omniture that gave Adobe the ability to add a completely new set of tools into their product offering. Others like Aldis doubled the size of their team and brought on talent like Bruce Chetson, who went on to have a huge impact inside of Adobe. Or Macromedia, which helped Adobe to take a competitor off the map and end a crash course where the two companies were set to collide. Adobe's story is a journey of transformation. They've seen different eras in software, and they're doing what they can to be successful in this new one. So far, they're doing a pretty great job. It's only possible to continue growing and thriving like they have been by making hard, long-term decisions and being really intentional about how they can expand and bring new value to customers. They still have so much potential, and I'm excited to see what the company does next. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you can check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.